Welcome to the On a Roll podcast, the podcast that helps you level up your role-playing game. Tabletop, LARP, mush, and everything in between. It's been a while. I, I just, I don't know. I can't remember <laughs> it anymore. <laughs> We're not better gamers than you. We just have different experiences to share. And maybe we can help you have more fun at your role-playing game. Because the, the only way to win. Oh, yeah. crap. I'm off again. Because the only, the only way to win a role-playing game <laughs> is, is to, to have, have fun. fun. Yeah, have fun. Uh, I'm Ryan the Curmudgeon. Joining me, as always, is Carrie the Legend. Hello. And as sometimes, Jason the Favorite. Yeah. yeah. I think I'm the favorite because it's not overused. <laughs> Moderation. Really, oh. that's yeah. that's where we... Yeah. 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 Is that what we're going with now? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, for those of you who have never listened to us before, sorry. <laughs> but we do have a Patreon uh, where you can help keep the show on the air. We are at patreon.com slash podcast. And one of the cool things about becoming a patron of the show is that you can get some free stuff. Uh, you can get postcards and you can get uh, prints and books and uh, all sorts of cool things. And mm-hmm. one of those cool things is that you can also get a shout out on the podcast. Ah. Yeah. So let's take a second to talk about the folks who, uh, you know, get a shout out on the podcast. Tell us about our patrons. They're awesome. Our uh-huh. patrons are awesome. Wonderful. Oh, is that it? Yeah. Do we have any? Oh, yes, we do. Okay. Um, these are the patrons that are at the wizard level. Okay. So we have Cameron, who is my favorite. Mm. We have Joe Hines with Lost Colonies. Yes. We have Ryan Galeata with Byways LARP. Mm-hmm. We have Ryan Martin, who I've not seen any food from. I'm a little concerned. Like We haven't seen anything lately. I think oh. he's been planning something. Oh, well, okay. I, I, I don't know. That. We have Drew Stevens, who has been talking about Avatar The Last Airbender, like... A lot. A lot lately. Yep, yep. Yep, yep. Salim Halabi. Halabi. I'm getting so close. We have uh, Josh Heath with Werewolf the Podcast. Mm-hmm. And we have Joel Eastland, who's one of my uh, dear, dear friends. Mm-hmm. And then there's Noah Coltrip. Hmm. What about Noah Coltrip? <laughs> Glad you asked. Noah Coltrip this week is traveling to Shenandoah Caverns in Shenandoah Caverns, Virginia. <laughs> Shenandoah Caverns has been thrilling visitors for almost a hundred years. In fact, it's the only Virginia cavern with elevator service. No. You can explore a world of breathtaking natural wonders, including geology. <laughs> There's also extraordinary crystalline formations waiting to be admired and photographed. You'll see the famous breakfast bacon formation. That one's so unusual, it appeared in National Geographic magazine. You'll also be delighted by large rooms known as the Long View Hall. You'll even be amazed at unique, intricate, unexpected formations like Capitol Dome. Diamond Cascade, and Rainbow Lake. Shenandoah Caverns is open all year round, but please keep in mind that even though it has an elevator, 
it's not considered wheelchair accessible. We we have the patron of the podcast. Oh, who is that? Well, if you'd like to get a shout out on the podcast and become a patron and get some free stuff, uh, we'd love to have you. You can go to patreon.com slash podcast and uh, help to keep the show on the air and, and going. I'm super excited. I, we got the postcards in. Yeah, the new postcards are about to go Ooh, out. Beautiful. Uh, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. when last we left our intrepid adventurers, we were sitting right here at this table recording a podcast mm-hmm. uh, while Jason was at work. Yeah. But today, we're at this table recording a podcast while Jason is at home. But he's zoomed in. Zoom. I will say, man, this Zoom is way better than when we, when we used to use Hangouts and Skype. Skype, yes. It's this better. Is way better. Yeah. Well, uh, Carrie, what you been up to? <sighs> so I got a job. <laughs> no, um, I've got an illustration job for a children's book. Oh, very cool. And yeah, it is. It's very, very cool, but it's also very, very stressful because I'm in a holding pattern now waiting to get some information before I can start. Editorial perspective. Yeah, it's kind Just of... Just do all the art and make it fit whatever later. Oh, you can do yeah, that, right? Right, because that's how that works. Sweet. Yeah. No. Hmm. But it's you about it all. It's no big deal. It's it's about bullfrogs, so I've been getting to draw frogs. So that's fun. Awesome. That's really cute. Yeah, yeah. It, it was pretty cute. Anyway, so there. <laughs> so that's what I've been doing besides uh, signing postcards. Right. Yeah. What have you been up to, Jason? Well, probably the most interesting thing that happened to me was that I uh, I had to spend a week on night shift because the plant had some issues. No big deal. It. The plant did what it was supposed to and shut down, and we were just on nights for a week to get it back up. Uh, and so we really only had like two hours of work to do every night, and we right. had to be there for 12 and a half hours, though. Hmm. So um, one of the guys, while driving in, said, hey, Jason, you you run and play D&D, right? I'm like, yeah. And he says, why don't you run us a game at night when we have time? So I would run uh, for, for, let's see, one, two, three, three people, no, four people who had never played before at all. Uh, I brought my books in, and I will say the uh, D&D Beyond made this way easier because for new players especially, you, you can just punch stuff in, and it handles so much back-end stuff. It's not perfect, but it's pretty good. Yeah. And anyway, so we all make characters, or they all make characters, and uh, – well, I improvised a campaign over three games, and awesome. It was a, it was a it was a learning experience because it's been a long time since I've run for people who've never played before at all, <laughs> and a long time since I've had to improvise an entire campaign basically on the spot, just using stuff that I've used before and half remembered, and had to put it back together and pull in random things out of the monster manual and uh, stuff like that to keep going. That's awesome. It was a lot of fun. It's been a long time since I've done that. (laughs) All right. Very cool. So what have you been up to, Ryan? Well, uh, you know, I wish that I had exciting things to share, but I really don't. Um, I'm still working a lot. Uh, I've started back uh, on the gun belt again. You know, we're doing, uh, we've we've figured out the the creating a town process, you know, how how to source, how to source the table to get, get people to help you build the the town 
that the I'm game's going to play about in. That. Yeah, and uh, and as far as work goes, uh, today I was in a four-hour meeting <sighs> that was so insane and ridiculous that I I actually had to take a moment and like really look at the people in attendance to make sure that we weren't actually just being punked. Have you considered putting a picture of yourself in front of the screen? Well, it was no, it was an in-person yeah, meeting. They they made him go in for it. We were uh, we were in a conference table and we were all six feet apart. So it was just far enough that I was like, is this guy in a costume? Uh, it was, it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it was one of those train wrecks where like you're watching, you, you see the train wreck occurring and you are not empowered in any way, shape or form to hit the brake. Is that one of the meetings? See, I've been in a few like that where you're like about halfway through, you realize there's, I have no input because nobody cares about my opinion or, or for whatever reason. Right. Yeah, that was it. Check out and start like counting ceiling towels and looking at people's nose hairs and just whatever random thing to keep you awake. Yeah. Well, it was so at one point, though, I, I at one point I made the guy mad, though. I, I felt a little bit bad about it until I realized he had just wasted four hours of my time. And then I didn't feel bad anymore. <laughs> That was a waste of your time and theirs. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was pretty frustrating. So uh, anyway, uh, there you go. So that's right. <sighs> yeah. Let's go to combat rounds. All right. Welcome to combat rounds. We've got a really cool show today. We are going to be talking about uh, finding a character and finding the character's voice and figuring out how they are going to talk and act. And uh, hopefully we'll even talk a little bit about um, improvisational techniques. Improv. Yeah. Today we are joined by our guest. Uh, his name is Dan Buck. Some people call him Sir Daniel or uh, his students call him D-Buck. D-Buck, Dan, Sir Daniel, whatever you want to call him. I don't know. How about just Dan? Hey, Dan. Dan works. <laughs> Dan is an associate professor of theater at Lee University here in Cleveland, Tennessee. And uh, he is particularly skilled and knowledgeable in uh, the acting ways, but also with, <laughs> with uh, improvisational techniques. Uh, he is the, um, the I guess, the, the, the faculty sponsor of Shenanigans, which is the the Lee University improv team that does improvisational performances uh, every semester. Uh, they're kind of a whose line is it anyway kind of thing, uh, but it's super funny and lots of fun. And so Dan is here to tell us a little bit about uh, finding characters and role-playing them and, and some improvisational acting kind of ideas and thoughts. And we are super excited to have him. So welcome, Dan. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, it's good to be with you uh, uh, on the podcast here. Uh, we have actually, uh, Ryan once uh, hired me to sort of do a workshop with his LARP group. That's true. Uh, which is a lot of fun. And so that kind of, I don't know if I thought more about uh, how improv overlaps with role-playing type games, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm sure I have too much to say. <laughs> so let's dive in. Well, it was super cool. We actually, Dan, you took us, you took our whole LARP group uh, we we didn't hold a game, and instead we all met in your university's theater, and we just did uh, improv workshop the whole night, 
And yeah. it was, it was super cool. cool. The the <laughs> players that participated every once in a while mm-hmm. will still bring that up to me. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're LARP That's famous, cool. Dan. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> uh LARP Lord. Uh well, you know, they say is that field trips always like, you know are the things that are remembered over all the content. You know? <laughs> we <laughs> get true. them out of the classroom and they remember. That's true. Uh, so Dan, you don't, you don't actually, you, you role play a little bit, right? You've played some Dungeons That's and right. Dragons. I've dabbled. I'm in a, I'm in a campaign right now that uh, only meets occasionally because people are busy, but, um, and I only, uh, uh, I only find it a little interesting. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I feel the same way about um, this podcast. Oh, <laughs> what about it is not particularly engaging? It's a good question. I don't know if it's just my attitude or what. Um, the so there is a player who tends to take lead in the group, which happens, mm-hmm. and that yeah. is bound to happen. Uh, but this person has kind of created. The DM is very open. In fact, I feel a little too open. Like, it doesn't feel like they've come up with much story. Um, and so this player has just sort of taken over, and it's kind of like watching this person do their job, but in a fantasy world. Right. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So it's not very fun. And I'm just kind of like, okay. <laughs> and we're doing it over Zoom. So it's like, that's also another disconnect is that we're not face to face. And so yeah. that is a challenge. You know, a lot of people are experiencing that right now. It's, it's a little, it's not quite as engaging when you're not, you know, reaching across and sharing the bowl of Doritos. Right. And, and, you know, I mean, for that matter, as somebody who both as an educator and as a theater practitioner, the live experience is the thing. Like for me, that's why you do this, right? Right. And Zoom is just uh, a passable Band-Aid for the moment, <laughs> you know, uh, until <laughs> until we can get back face-to-face and be in the same room. Um, so, I th- and yeah, I think, it's, uh, it's I think that favorite. applies. I think that applies to role-playing games as much as it does theater. I mean, it certainly applies to LARP. <laughs> yeah. I think you need to run a game. That's what's uh, that would lend to your skills better as an educator. That's a good question, and I have done that uh, once, um, probably too soon. I, uh, as a gift to my son for Christmas, I gave him the gift of Dungeons and Dragons. He didn't. He'd never played. He sure. never didn't know what it was. So I bought like all the right books and a really <laughs> nice set of dice. And I said, "You and three friends meet with me." once a week for a month and I'll DM a, you know, a a short campaign with you. And so I didn't really know what I was doing and it was kind of fun. They had a blast, but for me, it felt a little bit like a task. So uh, (laughs) we'll see. I don't know. Maybe it's just that I do this kind of thing too much for my job that to do it as my free time doesn't feel as fun. I don't know. You know, like I make believe and tell stories all day long. So it feels a little bit like, okay, we're going to do this again. Uh, but it did stick, right? Your, your son still plays now. Oh, oh, it worked for him. It was a <laughs> gift that kept on giving. He's like in deep uh, and knows way more about it than I do. And, and, you know, to cut, you know, sometimes he'll come into the, the room when I'm playing with my friends and like coach me like, Oh no, that's not true. And Oh, that he's talking about this kind of monster. Like, <laughs> <laughs> You're being rules, rules lawyered by your son. 
<laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, Dan, tell us a little bit about, about finding characters, you know, when, uh, uh, cause I, I think that a lot of finding a character is going to be very similar between role-playing games and with, uh, um, you know, with, with theater, uh, not necessarily, not necessarily improv, but just in general, you know, when you're, you and your cast as a character, you yeah. have, you have a, a summary of what that part is like and, and are able to assess what the character is like by reading the work. And for role players, the sort of the equivalent of that is you've built a character sheet. Right. You know, so what, what are some things that, that folks can, can think about, uh, you know, to lead them to figure out, you know, what does this person sound like? Right. So, uh, one of the things you, you uh, I'm going to geek out about, uh, a Russian dude, uh, Konstantin Stanislavski, who is sort of the father of acting theory, uh, talks a lot about given circumstances and his formula for choices, action choices. And I can't think of a better phrase for what, uh, role play role players are trying to look for <laughs> other than good action choices. Um, but he, he says on stage, we're looking to make action choices. And the way you get to action choices is a formula. You think of your given circumstances. What is the world of your character? How have they grown up? What is their, fi- you know, their financial situation? What is their, what influences them? What's their family like? All that stuff, physical, psychological, emotional, what are the influences on them that you know? And then you Apply those to yourself. And that's the part that feels a little funny for people who think they must be acting, you know, or deep in character. The truth is, you as a human are a part of the equation in good acting. Because, of course, in, uh, in all art, I believe, uh, and, and arguably in games, um, they're designed to kind of put a spotlight on what it means to be human. Even if you're playing a half-elf or... Or, you know, or you want kind of, you know, I think I played a albino dancing bear in one particular <laughs> campaign I was in. Uh, but I ate a magic mushroom and I quickly lost all my hair. Uh, but anyway, so... Stop right there. You were a bald albino dancing bear? Yes. With okay. uh, with an extra thumb on each hand because I ate two magic mushrooms. So... Uh, Dan, I figured out it's not role playing that doesn't work for you. It's clearly that just your games suck. <laughs> that was actually the campaign I really liked. <laughs> I do have to say that, and this probably isn't helpful, but I have a motto. Um, the first question I ask whenever something new is pre- presented by the uh, DM, I have to resist the temptation to just say, I eat it. just to see what will happen um it never goes well but it's always entertaining anyway all that to say what i was saying is so the formula is think of your given circumstances what do you know about your world and your character and then you apply that to yourself if all that were true of me how would i act right and if you're thinking oh that feels too much like me it's too it's too like my own world my own situation well then you haven't thought enough about the given circumstances Right. Just like in acting, when you see the actors who no matter what role they're in, they always look like them. I won't name any names because that would be indiscreet. Tom Cruise. But the, <laughs> the fact that they uh, that, that just means they haven't done enough work on the given circumstances and applied enough of what they know about the character to themselves because they would act differently if all those things were true of their life up to that point. So I think that in role-playing situation 
I know that everybody sort of cr- creates their worlds differently. And sometimes there's a, you know, sort of an episode zero gathering where you sort of do it together collectively, or sometimes a DM, you know, says, all right, I've created this, you know, this idea for where, where we are, what world we're in. You take what you know about it and maybe you've made one decision. I'm a so-and-so, right? I'm a, uh, albino bear bear. I'm a bear bard. <laughs> um, a bear, bear bard for that matter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and then I, you know, apply that to, okay, well, what does that mean? My life was like, what did, you know? And, and so for me, I decided, I don't know why that I had, was this, you know, albino bear. And I thought, well, that would make me sort of, uh, you know, either a freak or really sought after and, you know, sort of popular and everybody, you know, wants to see this strange thing. And so I went in that direction. I became like this, you know, really unique creature who everyone went, came to see perform and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so that was my, that was my given circumstances. And then I thought, okay, now how would I act if my life had been like this, if I'd experienced this before and I've experienced this before, and then I made choices based on that. And I think what that really does well is it, it finds that, um, I don't know if you've experienced this, but I, I see this in improv all the time. People are at one end of the spectrum or the other, as far as like when something is thrown to them and the ball's thrown in their court, they either make wild, ridiculous choices that it's like, what, uh, what the heck was that, man? You're like, forgot about the rest of the team or you're not thinking about what our goal is here. Right. Um, or they just don't do anything, but like the very, very expected thing. Right. And so if you can find that balance of applying the strange, fantastical elements of your character's world and their life, and then filtering it through your actual human life experience, I think you'll find that in-between way where your choices might be a little unexpected, but they're not unreasonable. They make sense, you know, to your character. Yeah, that's absolutely true. I recently was running a game for new players and uh, you saw people who would just do something crazy and weird because suddenly they had permission, right? Right, right. I'm allowed to do weird stuff today because we're playing a role-playing game and we're throwing dice. So everything else is fine. And you had other people who made every decision, the, the most mundane, safest, I don't mean safe in the game, but safe as in like, I'm not going to act weird here. I'm still going to be very, I don't want to say bland, but a little bit. Yeah. And uh, you see the same thing with with older players who haven't actually tried to improve the acting part. Now, some people are very happy to just be that bland guy at the table and continue that forever, or they're very happy to just be weird and make outrageous choices they don't get to make in regular life. But uh, like the people that I most enjoy playing with are the ones, like you said, that find that that middle ground of, Mm. I feel free to make interesting choices that also makes sense. Yeah, they're individuals, right? They, they don't all, the characters don't all look alike. They don't all act the same. Um, and I guess this, and this really comes down to another principle of Stanislavski, this acting teacher. And you've heard this before. It's been made fun of for years. But then the actor's objective is always at the center, right? And so I think that as a, when you're building a character, there are lots of details and lots of thoughts about the backstory and, and all this and that, and lots of skills and, and, and training and all that kind of things. But ultimately, at the core of your character, you should be thinking, what does my character want? 
And really what you're looking for is they're super objective, right? It's not just like, what do I want in this scene? What do I want in this moment? But what is my overarching want in life, right? So like in, let me give you an example. In Romeo and Juliet, Romeo, you might think, what is his super objective? You might think to get Juliet. Well, that's not true. Because for a portion of the play, he has not met Juliet. And for another portion of the play, he has Juliet. <laughs> so what about those other parts? Well, clear. The Ultimately, if you want to look for his super objective, you think about what has always happened in the play. Before he met Juliet, he really wanted Rosalind and this other girl. So, so Romeo's super objective is to get love or to be loved. Right. Right. Hamlet's objective can't be to get revenge because he doesn't even know there's somebody to revenge at the beginning until he meets his father's ghost, right? Uh, it has to be a little bit bigger than that. So maybe it's um, to become a man or to uh, realize his place in the world or what is his what is his particular purpose, right? So you have to come up with sort of a greater purpose for your character. What are they seeking out the whole time? And it will always be their driving energy. It's the... It's the, my name is Inigo Montoya. You have killed my father, prepared to die. That's right. Like That's right. His super objective, uh, he wore on his sleeve. That's right. <laughs> but it makes him a really interesting character study too, though, because it's all right there. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's objective first, right? It's out, it's out in front. I think that as a, as a role player, sometimes the way to figure out that super objective uh, may stem from, uh, you know, when we sit down with a sheet in front of us, a lot of times the first thing we think is, what do I want to play? Mm. And, and I think that that can, you know, what you want to play can sometimes actually lead you directly to the answer of what will my character's, you know, main object, primary objective be? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I tend, you know, I've played in three campaigns. And in the first two, I picked a bard. Sort of an obvious natural choice for me because I'm a theater guy. I'm an actor. Everyone's first character is them. always themselves. Always, always themselves. Yeah. And so this third time in this campaign that's kind of boring me, I've decided to go a totally different direction. And I'm just a giant uh, <laughs> who actually is, who turned out wanted to be an entertainer and failed miserably. <laughs> so, so everyone kept saying, you're enormous. You're so strong. Why don't you be a fighter? And I've just resigned myself to doing what everybody expects of me. <laughs> so, well, what's his core motivation then now? Is over? It's a good question. Um, I think it's to, um, to give a good, I mean, it's ultimately he's trying to um, find out who he is. Right. Okay. Because so, it seems like the performing thing wasn't him after all, because everybody said he was bad at it. Now, I mean, in my heart, as, as a playwright, I think he's ultimately going to come to the point that, like, even if he was bad at it, maybe that was who he was anyway. Right. Um, yeah. And even if he's great as a fighter, but hates it, maybe that's not who he is, right? Is the thing you're great at who you are? I don't know. Maybe so he'll... questions that are... Maybe he'll find... Maybe he might, he might even find his greatest performance was on a battlefield. Maybe. I mean, well, I like to imagine him singing while he's fighting people. <laughs> Maybe. It's very Cyrano de Bergerac. He composes yeah. poems while he, yeah. while he plays people. Yeah. So I have a bad habit of um, I start my characters, my character building with a name because names fascinate me and I think they're fun. Uh, <laughs> so my character's name is Bishbosh Crinklepants. <laughs> <laughs> and I just went from there. 
Maybe you're taking Man, Dan, maybe you're taking Dungeons and Dragons a little too serious. <laughs> Bish bosh crinkle pants. I just love saying it. I love making other people say it. <laughs> what up, Bish Bosh? You're uh what you're talking about with this primary uh this kind of primary objective is really how are you finding what your character's actions will be and and what they're that's right how the what how they'll make what decisions they will come to a motivation right yeah so how do you how do you think about uh deciding what they're going to sound like or you know because or even just act act like you know a little bit physically the bit of physicality that that you may use when you're at the table this depends a little bit on how much your listeners or how many any role play role player wants to uh, do some embarrassing things on their own while to like sort of creates characters. <laughs> what do you do when you're in your room by yourself? Um, there are two thoughts school schools of thought. Two schools of thought. One is and and what I've been talking about mostly is inside out acting. Right, where you think about motivation, you think about all the stuff that's going on inside the character, and then you let that come out, whether it be in um, in action choices or how you move or your posture or your gait or or whatever. Right, right. Let that affect your body. There is a way, opposite way, and it's actually a kind of acting that I'm really interested in right now. I've been doing a lot more with my students. I teach my intermediate acting class this methodology. Uh, it's based on a guy's theories. Uh, his name is Jerzy uh, Grotowski. He's a Polish director and, and uh, artist. I feel like you keep name dropping. But the idea is that you... <laughs> I know, I'm dropping these big names. It makes me sound like I don't want to talk about. Um, I'm just making them up. That's the thing you don't even right. know. Um, <laughs> what am I... One of my deepest, uh, deepest acting theories comes from the great Pete Holmes, whom I went to school with. <laughs> I didn't go to school with him. I directed him. You directed him, he right? I. That's <laughs> right. I introduced him to comedy. <laughs> um, so the uh, this outside in. Uh, so this idea is that you can actually use your body to uh, provoke emotions. The one exercise we do a lot is called circus walks, <laughs> and the idea is that you walk around a room. And uh, instead of, you, you pay attention to how you normally walk, how your feet make contact with the floor, and then you change that. So maybe you tend to be sort of a uh, flat-footed walker, or maybe you're a big sort of heel-to-toe walker. Uh, you think about how much you bend your knees. Try to change that up. And so you just think about your feet making contact with the floor. Then, uh, so I'll have a bunch of people doing this, all walking around a room just a little bit different than they normally do. I'll say, okay, now think about how that affects your knees. Now, how does it affect your hips? Now, your torso, your shoulders, your arms, your head. And I go through all the parts of the body, letting every single piece sort of be affected just by this one change at the feet. And by the end, I have 15 characters walking around a room that are totally unique. And I'll say, okay, now how does this person breathe? Now, what's the sound they might make, a nonverbal sound? Now what's a phrase they might utter? And they instantly can come up with lines that make sense for this person that they have created entirely from the physical, right? Mm. And I think that's such an interesting exercise. I've done it backwards too. I've said, all right, now let's start with the phrase. Think of a line uh, from, like we'll be working on a monolo on monologues. And I'll say, okay, say a phrase from your monologue. Okay, now how did that affect your face? Now let it affect your neck. 
nice shoulders, and I have them sort of go backwards and create movement. And it's it's really fascinating to watch actors who, before that, might have been a little stiff or or felt a little boring to watch, but then suddenly they come to life on stage and they're far more animated, and it really affects them in powerful ways. So. Are, are role play role players interested in walking around their house doing circus walks? You know, maybe. I can, uh, <laughs> I can attest that I have actually done that before. Yeah. I, I play I play in a LARP, and I actually bought a pair of men's shoes that are way too big for me that I wear yeah. as my character, and it completely changes everything about the character. When I put those shoes on, I have to flop my feet. Right to walk, and that changes my gait and everything. I've heard so. a lot of a lot of LARPers, in particular, talk about how the shoes that they pick for their character are the the most important costume piece. Yeah, oh, that's so true. Footwear is so evocative. It's one of the things I ask in my rehearsal process. I ask costumers to give actors the shoes they'll be wearing in the show as early as possible because it really affects everything mm-hmm. uh, so, so much. It's a very it's a very dramatic change. Why do you think that is? Is it just because every, you know, that's where you make contact with the earth? Yes. Yes, that's right. I think that is exactly right. It it affects your posture. Uh, It affects how fast you're moving, uh, how careful you are. And of course our footwear is so uh, designed around functionality that like it's either super comfortable or it is uh, designed for sports, you know, and for movement, or it's designed for elegance and for fashion. And so it very quickly puts you in modes of operation. You would not wear the wrong shoes for an occasion. You'd find the right shoes. Um, And I think that's pretty, you know, it's pretty powerful. I feel the same way about face masks during pandemics. (laughs) nothing puts me a character as fast as putting a face mask on (laughs) yeah i've started wondering like in my own head i'm writing sort of like what does it say about someone the face mask that they choose like (laughs) there's definitely something to it i mean like uh, a lot of people at work like they give us the regular surgical paper masks right yeah and about a third of the people just wear it no problem, just like it is, no change. And then there's about a third of the people like myself that have to do something to make it more comfortable or fit better or something, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's another group that's got some form of custom mask they wear instead of the paper one at all times. Right. It's just, uh, it's interesting the things that people pick. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like you can Uh, tell the guys that are like, uh, uh, like there's a, Everybody I know that that rides bikes regularly or something like that, right? They all have these same black ones oh, yeah. that, they, that you can buy for cyclists. That's what they're for. <laughs> so they all have them, right? right? And all the guys that hunt and stuff like that, they all have these, they call them gators or something. It's like a, it's really a scarf. They yeah, just, yeah. It's like a cowl. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, like a- yeah, yeah. There's a bunch of things that you, you figure out where did their brain go to when I've got to cover my face? Yeah, I, <laughs> they have I just, to come up with something. I just use the mask that I use when I'm um, disintegrating bodies in acid. That, that, right, right. Have those just around the house. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit about how, uh, how a character sounds. Uh, you know, choosing, we say choosing the voice of your character. 
that doesn't necessarily just mean like the tone or volume, you know, sometimes voice is just manner of speaking as well. Um, what yeah. are some things that folks can think about when, when trying to decide, all right, I've got this sheet of paper in front of me. It tells me who this person is. I know what their primary right. motivations are, you know, but, but what's this person sound like? Right. So, um, two, uh, two things come to mind. In fact, um, <laughs> this is funny. Just this morning, I was in a group of, of friends who one of the guys wanted to use sort of a funny voice and he found they kept kind of cutting in and out of it. And he was commenting on, he's like, I don't even know what this voice is. I can't quite figure it out. And he's like, Dan, help me out. I need an acting teacher to tell me how to do a voice. <laughs> and so I, uh, I said, okay, well, there's two things to remember. The first is, um, think of a model, right? And this is another thing that feels like cheating to people who are new to acting, but the idea that there is someone that you're kind of imitating or of sort of your model is totally okay, right? And of course, there are countless, countless characters on television and movies and all that kind of thing that you can choose as your model. You're gonna make, make it your own. Good luck, good luck not making it your own, right? Um, it's actually very, very hard to really imitate somebody without ceasing and, and get every single word in that person's voice. So a model is a great place to start because it gives you a more definite beginning place instead of just sort of, it's sort of this and sort of this. Most people who uh, can just dive into a voice without it really making decisions about what they want it to sound like. Mm -hmm. So once you've decided kind of what your character you, you want it to sound like, and, and we're talking, you know, dialects and, and tone and volume and pitch and all that kind of stuff and, and rate of speech. Um, then pick your model that you think is a pretty good person for you to go after. If you're not Shakespeare, it's, or, you know, Shakespeare wasn't an actor. Why do yeah, we say that? Yeah, I don't that? even I don't know, know why you said that. But like, if you're not he an actor, but nobody has seen him perform around. Well, <laughs> if you're not a great, if you're not some sort of great actor, like, I don't know, John Wilkes Booth, uh, whoa, <laughs> what? Whoa. He was one of the most famous actors of his time. Too soon. Okay, too soon. All right, then let's say Tom Cruise. If you're not a, a great actor like like Tom Cruise or Keanu Reeves, you might find yourself uh, like it's okay to instead be doing an impression is what you're saying. Like like pick something to do an impression of and just embrace it. Yeah, yeah, it really is okay. I mean, I would even say that about character, right? I mean, it's okay. Like a lot of my students are 20 years old and they, for a scene or for a play, have to play a 40 year old woman with three kids. I'm like, you don't have the life experience to draw on for this. <laughs> and so think of someone that you know and think about how they act and then put that on your body and figure out how that affects you. Right. right. Um, and, and, you know, and they're like, isn't that cheating? Isn't that, I'm like, no, don't be silly. It's, it's going to become your own and you have lines to say that are not their lines. Right. right? So, uh, so it really is okay to have a model that you're sort of, uh, imitating and then, and then it, and then you will shine through invariably, right? It's just a starting point. The second tip I give is to have what I like to call a keystone phrase. Um, all of us know that whatever, whatever accent we're using, whatever, we can find a certain phrase or a certain thing we say, and we're like, oh, that's exactly what I want them to sound like. I can say that <laughs> part right every time, right? right? Use that. It's like your, it's like your magic totem, right? You just come back to that. When you're like lost your voice, think of that phrase, say it in your head or to yourself or out loud in the moment, whatever, if it's, if it's neutral enough that you can say it all the time, make it your catchphrase, right? Right. It can be your, what, what are you talking about, Willis? Um, but uh, then, then, you, uh, then, then you will just find yourself zeroed back in on the dialect again. 
uh, if you strayed too far. I just like none of our listeners are going to know though. What are you talking about, Willis? No one is going. They're all are your too listeners, young. I mean, what do you know about your listeners? Are they younger? I'm pretty sure they're younger. I, I think more are going to know it than than you, you suspect. I mean, you know, I hope, but it was just like. Mm. <laughs> I don't find a lot of young podcast listeners. Period. But uh, no. it's true. They're all listening to murder podcasts. All the young people are they? I think that's married Surprise! wives. This is like. Uh, married wives is that a repetitive? I think it is. Uh, I find that's all you know. Women that are you know, uh, middle-aged women. Trust me. All okay. my uh, my younger friends that listen to podcasts regularly, particularly the women in their twenties, they listen to murder podcasts. The sure. the grosser the better. Oh, <laughs> fair. How do you? How I mean, do you? I find- Joe Rogan, the grossest, but it's not a murder podcast. No, no. <laughs> is it though? Is it? <laughs> How do you suggest someone approach then, uh, you know, the actual voice things that we, that we talk about then? Like, how do you select a tone and a pitch and should they talk fast? Should they talk slow? Um, you know, how do you uh, consider, you know, what sort of character makes what sort of sound? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, the the cocktail, of course, is given circumstance, which I was talking about before, and imagination. So you fill in you you fill in what you do know about your character. Um, so if you know that they're well educated, then they're going to talk a certain way. Um, and if you know that they, um, if they're sort of uh, large and menacing, and they want to be large and menacing, that's going to affect pitch and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you know, fill in what you know first. And then fill in those gaps with just what you like and what you, how you want to sound. And what you can do. Because right, if absolutely. you, if you yeah. can't, if you can't do an Australian accent, don't try. Right. Right. <laughs> or or maybe, your character is or, someone who desperately wants to sound Australian. the fact that it's going to be bad. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I think as a general rule though, the best takeaway from this entire episode is going to be, if you can't do an Australian accent, don't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay. No, no, look, if we're going to bash accents, we're going to talk about Fiana instead of Australia. Oh, the Irish accent. <laughs> oh, that's the worst. All right, so let's talk a little bit then about actually role-playing. So this is the part that probably comes into more of an improv sort of uh, technique. I think the first thing that, that we probably should talk about is the, the super basic thing that everyone sort of uh, talks about when they talk about these kind of things uh, is the yes and technique so can you can you just Mm. briefly kind of tell us what is yes and 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 how it's used sure yes and is a a pretty uh rudimentary basic you know idea in improv and the idea and really what's under yes and uh informs actually almost all the rules of improv um if you there and there are people who rail against the idea that there are rules on improv. <laughs> um, but the basic understanding is this idea of agreement, right? That you, when someone else in the room makes a choice of any kind, you immediately accept it as truth. Um, and there are all sorts of ways to not do that. Um, we can just sort of ignore them uh, or deny them. You can see some good examples of this in um, episode two of 
uh, what we do in the shadows, the sort of jerk leader of the LARP group that won't let the poor uh, <laughs> girl do anything. Yes. <laughs> uh, I just started watching that with Isaac and we've been having a good time. That's, fan- that's a great show. It's a really good yeah. time. Um, so that's called blocking is what that is um, or denying. And so anytime somebody says something, makes a suggestion, you know, in improv, we get people who, you know, will say something, they'll be like, uh, they'll, they'll look at someone and say, uh, um, oh no, the house is on fire. And the person looks at them and they don't want the house to be on fire. It doesn't fit into what they had in mind. So they just say, grandpa, did you take your medicine today? And that's kind of funny in the moment, but it really is just a shutdown of that person's idea. Right. Right. A good yes. And would be like, oh my gosh. Uh, the house is on fire and we've got all those fireworks downstairs. You know what I mean? Like you, you, you can really escalate and elevate. You take their idea and you add to it. That's the and part, right? Um, so that's the ideal and it pushes, it really pushes story making forward, um, in a positive way. Um, and, and honestly, you know, um, I, I think there's, I'm going to complicate yes and for you a little bit and, and challenge it a little bit, if you sure. don't mind. Um, especially in something like role-playing, there is certainly the room for players to do different things and feel differently about what should get done. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say the most boring uh, role-playing game you ever have is where the team is just constantly arguing about where they should go next or what they should do next, right? That, yeah. that is a surefire way to all be bored and hate the game, right? right? Um <laughs> However, uh, there might be times where one person wants to do a thing and you uh, have this idea in your head. If, if you accept the reality of their choice, oh, they want to do that, they're going to do that. And then within that reality, make a choice that defies them or undercuts them or backstabs them a little bit. That's still interesting storytelling, I would, I would argue. Mm-hmm. You're not quite, you are yes-anding. You could be saying yes, and my character tries to stop you. Yeah, right, right. And I mean, you don't want to do that too much, and you don't want to do it at the cost of action and things actually moving forward. Um, you know, I, I actually got to interview um, a improv teacher from Second City, a guy named Bill Irwin. I wish I had a little dinger Bill. every time you named a name, and we could be like, ding! <laughs> well, these are good people. They said these things, not me. It's, it's actually humiliating. I, I want to say that I didn't come up with these ideas. It was people smarter than me that said this. Um, but he, I, <laughs> but lo- he, I love uh, the name drop. So. He said, um, you know, you could have, uh, he's like, I want you to imagine a scene in which a reporter has their first big assignment, and they're supposed to go and interview the star quarterback of the local college football team who's going to the championship. But when he gets there, he's gotten the wrong like card assignment. And he's actually with a chef who has just won a major award, right, for cooking. Well, that scene should be a series of questions, which is one of the things they encourage you not to do in improv, and no's. (laughs) <laughs> right. But it would still be a really funny scene, right? To have this guy who's like trying to make his quarterback questions work for the chef and still wants to have the story for his big boss. You would break the rules over and over and over again. But the truth is, they're not really breaking the rules. They are yes ending because they're accepting the reality of this strange situation they've been put in and trying to move forward. All right. So, yes and doesn't always apply from sentence spoken to sentence spoken. Sometimes it can be about the entirety of the scene. Right. And, and it's, and it's much more about sort of a underlying, I agree with the reality 
the thing that just came out of your face hole. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm on board. Right. <laughs> I think too, it's important uh, to think about when you're role-playing this idea that, that yes, and versus, you know, shutting other players down, it really lends into that idea that, you know, you're, you're only winning at role-playing if you're having fun. And mm -hmm. the quickest way to not have fun is to have someone constantly shut you down. Shutting you down. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm, I'm going to say, say this. I'm not exactly sure how it fits into um, our discussion about creating characters, but it, I think it's really interesting. One of the things I've been sort of, uh, I've latched onto lately is what I call the three questions of the actor. And I'm, and I'll be curious from you guys with your, wealth of role-playing experience both as dms and as people teaching other people how to play whether you think this is true of them too beginning actors whenever they ask a question or or even when they do anything underneath whatever it is they do they're really asking am i do you think i'm good enough at this do you think i'm good enough to be doing this right and eventually we want to move them apart from do you think I'm good enough to, do you think the work is good enough, right? <laughs> you and the work are two different things, yeah. right? I refuse to answer the question, are you good enough? In the acting world, I don't ever want to tell someone, you'll never make it, right? That's stupid and it's bound to burn me because in 20 years, that person will get an Academy Award and be like, up yours, D-Book. They'll be like, um, I'm Tom so Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> so I never answer the question. I never want to be a gatekeeper of talent, right? I just... I, I encourage them to stop asking me whether I think they're good enough and start asking me whether I think their work is good enough because I can talk about that. And then the third question, the best question, is that they can start asking, do I think, think I'm good enough, right? So in the context of role, play, role players, you know, you get those timid beginning role players and sometimes they're not beginning. Sometimes they've been doing this forever and they still feel timid like they don't have any confidence. Um, and uh, you want to move them from this, this fear of making choices because they're constantly worried. Am I, am I good enough to be in this group? Am I good enough? You know, do I fit in here? And then start asking the question if they really want to assess their choices and their character choices, look at those separately. And so that they, they are confident enough to say, yes, I am a role player. I have things to contribute. Was that a good idea? Is that the kind of choice I should make that helps the game, moves the story forward? And then finally, they stop asking others and they can start asking themselves. They can actually do self-assessment. Um, so that's that's kind of a, a place that I've been in with my actors lately. I actually think it's incredibly insightful from a gaming perspective. I feel like those three questions should be posed to every mush because <laughs> I feel like that is so mush is a text-based role-playing game okay and I you as you were saying those questions I was going that player that oh no that player yeah. does that all the time oh no this is what's crippling that player like all of my I, players that applies to so I think that it applies those three things really apply more more to mush and to LARPing because there is something about just the quantity of people that are there. Uh, you know, a mush can be, you know, 30, 40 different people mm -hmm. over across the game. A LARP can be, you know, 15 to a hundred, you know, or a thousand if you're in Europe. Um, you know, a tape, a, a tabletop game, it's like seven. So it, I don't know if it, there's, there isn't a touch of an audience necessity for those questions. Uh, 
because you're there is that one person who everybody else has experienced and then they get the one new player and they're terrified that they're not doing it right or that this right. isn't this but, isn't something they should be doing right but that, the that new person there. the new person though you know if they're a new person to the group then the audience is the other six people and so right. it does it does apply but like if the group all comes together at the same time and develops together i don't know that it applies yeah. there there's an element of, much. of a performance i guess requires an audience Sometimes yeah. I don't know. Now does we're it, in a, we're it? in a whole other philosophical argument. What now. is art? Does an argument? Does hey, a, no. <laughs> I, I will say that in tabletop and in LARP, and I assume in mush, the 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 issue that gets people stuck moving to self-assessment is the fact that there's so many people who, who kind of gatekeep your decision making, whether it's mechanical or if it's like my my choices as a character. Like, hey, your character characters dumb i don't like them uh regardless of whether they fit into the group or not they just like you're playing an orc wrong or you're playing a dwarf wrong or you're playing a vampire wrong and so that person gets stuck and they self-assess am am i doing this in a way that's not fun for other people because they're too busy either well i'm gonna do it more because this guy says he doesn't like it and i don't like that dude now because he gatekeeped (laughs) me uh or they shut down completely, both of which are, are terrible for the game as a whole and for them and their enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And of course, arguably, if you want to go by the rules we've talked about, uh, if there is somebody who's sort of gatekeeperish about the way that you're playing, whatever it is you're doing, um, I would say one of the models we like to use is use it in the work, right? Let that be that person's character. And instead of just shutting down, you think, well, I've got this kind of, you know, a jerk I got to deal with and I make it part of the game of the gameplay. Right. Yeah. Um, yes. that takes some confidence and some creativity. Yes. Uh, and but- now I'm going to whoop them. <laughs> or even just go like in character. You can be like, Hey, why do you keep calling? You know, like, why are you being a jerk to me? I've done right. that in character and that will shut, that will block people. Yeah. By, by actually calling out their role play in role play. Mm-hmm. Is if somebody's being a problem player, I, I pretend what they said was in game, you know, I'm like, Oh, Oh, you just said that. Okay. Then they say everybody reacts. Oh, I didn't say that. Well then shut your mouth. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I yeah. love, I love this theory that you're talking about, Dan, because it's, it's very true. When I think about like a brand new player to a, a LARP or a mush, like the very first things that they, they seem to be asking is, you know, they want to know, Hey, they build their character and then they look to you as the storyteller or the DM and they say, is this character good? Did I, did I do this right? Yeah. Is this okay? Will, do you approve of it? Will this fit your game? Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, and, and literally and the character has others, to be approved. Yeah. Seeking others' approval is so vital. It's so ingrained in our culture, but it's so counter to, I think, good play mm-hmm. of any kind. Uh, <laughs> and, and what's funny is, I mean, you guys have a lot more experience than I do, but it feels like hierarchy and gatekeeperism is huge in playing community i assume it's in every community but it's definitely very obvious in ours yeah yeah it was um and i I, it's so and it's a little nebulous it becomes about personality right because since uh, i mean obviously different formats are different but the rules are a little loose right it's not like you're playing magic where there are very very specific rules and you can call over a judge whenever there's an issue right, right? that's a different thing right that's not gatekeepers and that's just playing by the rules right um, but somebody just decides the way and tone of a scene or a game is the way it should be 
and they start imposing that on others, it becomes more of a personality. There's actually an issue in some of the more, especially in some of the more improvisational LARPs that have mm-hmm. few rules where that you'll get these cults of personality where somebody yeah. will have such a strong opinion about how things are supposed to go that they can force the scene in that direction. I, I've, I've read a lot about how that you'll, you know, maybe it'll just be a particularly attractive person or a person who's really loud or just some people have that personality that just takes over. And if they're not willing to share with other people, they can totally dominate. Yeah. In fact, I've read some people say they were less happy in games in which they, in theory, had more choice about how things went than they were in games that had strict rules. Because if they had strict rules, they could they could say, well, this is what I can do. Right. I, I yeah. can do this because this rule says this. Right. Uh, I mean, a lot of it's taste, but it's also, it's interesting that these problems exist throughout any kind of uh, community. theater, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. And in improv, <clears throat> there's been a lot of upheaval, as I know there has been in the, in the role-playing uh, community, about uh, misogyny. And that all the people that are in control and are the strongest sort of personalities are men and that women do not have much room. Uh, and so a lot of improv theaters have had upheavals lately and, uh, you know, people complaining, you know, the improv theaters that are, have any kind of structure or, or, um, you know, <laughs> leadership or what's the word management, right. right. Have gotten complaints and, and, uh, people have been fired within the last five or six years. It's happened, you know, in some pretty big places, uh, in improv. Good. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> I mean, that's really all it's you have to say. That, Good about time. Yeah, something that the the role playing has been dealing with for a long time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you know, there's a there's a game that runs. I want to say it's near New York, and uh, one of the issues they had was the fact that it's set during Prohibition, and a lot of the people that play explicitly is targeted to uh, uh, people that are some version of queer, right? They identify as queer in some way. Mm-hmm. and people of color. Uh, all of the in-game bad guys are intended to be um, really like misogynistic, racist, like white guys, because okay. a lot of the game is about overcoming that sort of thing. Right. The problem they have is that no one feels comfortable playing those parts. Or they feel too comfortable. <laughs> well, you see, that's the problem. If somebody comes in and they're really too comfortable with it, they're gone, yeah. because that usually means that they've got something going on. Yeah. yeah. But the ones that are actually cool, they just feel uncomfortable doing all that stuff. It's, it's a, to me, it's a fascinating problem, which only has come around because things are getting better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, playing a, a villain or even someone who uh, has a value system that doesn't uh, jive with our current uh, popular cultural feelings, right. uh, that's the best way I can say that, um, that's a really hard thing to play. And it, and it requires a, a level of creativity and thought about your character that is way beyond a traditional one because no one thinks they are a villain, right? Right. <laughs> Villains believe they are doing something because it's the best way to go about it. And they've probably made some concessions about, well, there's going to be some costs or not. This is not going to be popular, but I've got to stick my head forward and, and charge forward and do this thing. They've lost sight of some kind of humanity or something. If we want to, if you want to really geek out, they, this is their hamartia. This is their their tragic flaw, their sin in uh, Greek tragedy terms that they've made a concession to the good 
for a greater good of some kind, right? Right. Um, and so you have to when you sometimes it's not in the script or it's not even in the in the devised understanding of the world, you know, depending whether we're talking about improv or role playing games or script, scripted play, uh, it's not there. You have to make up what why do I think it is okay to act this way? Why does my character believe this is okay? And that takes some very, very complicated imagining. When you play a character like that, you know, usually, hopefully, it's more of an NPC. You know, you're you're playing someone to help move the story forward when you're playing a, a villain right. like that. But sometimes afterward, it you feel dirty. Like, right. I play bad guys, <laughs> and then I'll walk out of yeah. the room and I'll shiver, and I'll be like, oh, I can't believe those words came out of my mouth, or <laughs> I, I laughed when I said that, or, you know, and, and all my players are, are always like, ooh, that was so good, oh, that was so creepy, and all that, and I'm like, oh, I gotta go take a shower, gross, you know, and... Oh, it's terrible. I was going to say that that's the reason why there's been like these manifestos within LARP recently about if I'm going to play a character that's intended to be antagonistic, then I need to adhere to a, a stricter set of rules than somebody who is playing uh, somebody who's more, uh, I don't want to say prota- not a protagonist, but like not a bad guy. Right, right. And it fits within the society because it's very easy if you're playing somebody who's antagonistic to actually just be a jerk. Yeah. And that's not even fun, right? And, and there is a principle here that brings us back to kind of what the whole episode is supposed to be about. Uh, and the idea that, you know, a lot of people think, well, I can't play that. That character is so cruel and I'm not really a cruel person. I can't play that. Um, there's a, an, an acting teacher who would say, uh, of course you're cruel. You know, like three times a day, you're kind of cruel, but like in very minute ways, right? When you are on the road and somebody cuts you off the awful thing you say to them, or you drive by somebody and they're wearing something really ugly and you sort of make fun of them under your breath or to a friend. You are cruel, but in very, very little minute ways. And so if you can take your little version of the life experience and just expand into it more, you have a wider range. Um, again, it's a challenge I have with all, you know, all 20-year-old actors. Um, they won't have you know, lost, uh, lost a child, you know, that's, a, that's a big one. You know, a lot of characters have like lost a child and they haven't even had a child, uh, but they have lost a pet. And I know that's nothing compared to losing a child, but it's a but start. It's the same muscle of loss, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, they have experienced loss. And so if they can dive into that and, and sort of remember what, how they behaved and how they moved and how they spoke when they were in a place of loss, they can put those actions on themselves again. So that's about character building in a larger sense, is that when you find that you've built a character for yourself and it's way out of your normal way of behaving, or at least a part of it is, um, think of a thing that you is within your normal range of behaving that is like that and just blow it up a bit, you know? That's great. Well, Dan, why don't you tell us, uh, is there anything about uh, you that you're doing on the side where folks can can find stuff you're doing that you'd want to share? Because oh. Uh, you know, I am, well, interestingly, we are working on our next season for Lee Theater, um, and we're trying to figure out what that's going to look like, because right. we have no idea when people will want to all gather in the same room. All um, Yeah. 
theater on Zoom, it's crappy. Right. It's just, <laughs> at best, it's a little bit novel and that's wearing off fast. Yeah. Uh, I think Broadway is uh, slated right now for end of August, but I bet they push it to January, honestly. Yeah. Um, some theaters already have individually just said, we're not, we're not having a season to see. Right. Um, and, and the hardest part about theater is that 75% of their expenses are up front. Right. All the costumes, all the building, all the set, you do that all on the hope that people will show up. And so right. you can't spend all that money and then and no one's there. That's bankruptcy is what that's called. Yeah. A, a lot uh, of people are dealing with that because they've got to pay for their sites. They got to pay a very large deposit on all their sites a year in advance. Yeah. It's sites. So some of the sites have been cool, right? And help people out. But they've got to start buying sites now for next year and they don't know if they're going to be able to have a season next year either. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it's complicated, but, uh, so that's kind of what I'm doing for my job. And then on the side, I kind of just want a thing I can work on by myself. It's so hard to collaborate with people right now and work with people. Um, so I'm working on a, um, podcast video called curio, uh, where it's just me talking about, um, artifacts, objects, places that I've discovered on some of my many adventures and trips. I love exploring and going on things and just sort of telling their story um, with the premise of sort of encouraging people at uh, having open-eyed wonder as they wander through their lives and the strange things that are everywhere around them to sort of add life and energy to them, to their drill, to their drill, to their dreary existence. Do you have a place where folks can, can find out more about that yet? It's so early right now. Okay. Um, no, not really. All right. <laughs> I've literally just, just begun starting thinking about it. Make but, sure you share our page whenever you get everything together. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll send you the info. Um, I mean, of course, people can still check out Project SSA, and I highly recommend it. It's you know probably one of the best things I've ever done. It's a really cool podcast about a true life adventure that happened to me and a friend. Um, best best 10 weeks of my life. So we'll so can check it. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, for hanging out with us, Dan. We really appreciate yeah, it. It's a pleasure talking to you guys. This is always fun. Yeah. Do you have anyone else famous that you have ever worked with or inspired to do anything that you want to just mention real quick? Oh, gosh. Uh, let's see. Uh, Allison Tolman, uh, who stars in uh, season one of Fargo. She's a friend of mine. Uh, she's, the, she's the female cop in Fargo, the TV show. Uh, let's see. Uh, that's all I got off the top of my head. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 I recognize. Yeah, they're not bad. I recognize people on TV. I'm like, oh, I went to grad school with them. Or I directed them in a play once. And Elijah, my son, says to me, does it bother you that all these people you know are famous and you're not famous? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I get paid every day to do what I like. I'm doing okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm my claim to fame is I made all of the glasses that are the eyeglasses that are worn by uh, Eddie Murphy's characters in The Nutty Professor. <laughs> every single one of them I made. I can wow. tell that. Wow. I can well, that is that. a level of spectacle that I cannot match. Right? Uh, <laughs> so, so my claim to fame. <laughs> yeah. Is that I was I was rescued by Superman. Oh, that's true. Yeah. In an Alex Ross comic book. Oh. Like I was the model. Wow. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty cool. And you can, cool. you can you can clearly tell it's when her. you said the first sentence about I was rescued by Superman, I was like, what like Christopher Reeves? Oh, man. You know, okay. the road and you had a flat tire awesome. and Christopher Reeves helped you? Like what that would be awesome too, but <laughs> that would be cool. <laughs> 
well, there's our show. I think that was pretty awesome. What do you guys think? Theater. I, I think it was, it was at least a five. Yeah. Out of 50? I don't know. Uh, let's not talk about that. All right. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. We've, we've missed you, Jason. I, I will say that my claim to fame is I know the guy who made all the glasses for the Nerdy Professor. <laughs> it's, hey, I also once had a speaking role or on the Tonight Show with Jay Leno. That's true as well. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. What, what was the words? I, well, first, let me say, it was the sketch where they would do that thing where they would distort his chin so it was really large, and he would pretend like he was like a, a gym fitness coach guy. And then people in the audience would ask him like health questions. And then, you know, he would like, he would answer them like this with the lens distortion on he his thing. He was never funny. No, no. Okay. And uh, <laughs> my line was something to the, now remember, we're talking about 20 years ago, 20, you know, 22 years ago. My line was, we are hearing a lot about this new pill Viagra. Can you tell me, are there any side effects? <laughs> I'm sure his punchline was as funny as the opener. Yeah. His, uh, actually his, his response, his, his answer was, uh, well, you know, there aren't any side effects. The, the effects are all in the front. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's terrible. True story. True story. Uh, stick with making those eyeglasses. Yeah. So anyway, there you go. Uh, if, if it's of interest, I made eyeglasses for a crap ton of famous people when I lived out there though, in LA. Yeah, okay. Dick Van Dyke. Autographs. Uh, I did. I have a ton of autographs on on Lens Crafters receipt paper. That was because that was like my thing was if I'm going to get their autograph, I'm going to make them do it on Lens Crafters receipt paper where I work because it was funny. So, but yeah, I did uh, Florence Henderson, who's the mom on the Brady Bunch. Yeah. It's a long list. I'm not going to keep going through them, but it's funny. So there you go. (laughs) All right. Jason, you get one experience point for attendance. Thank you very much. I'm going to actually give you one bonus experience point just to keep you somewhat close to where Carrie is at. So, all right, let's and roll. So it begins. Let's roll for you. I'm get the more ketchup experience. The more ketchup experience. I want my mustard. You know what I mean. Mm. I need to be able to catch up with her. Otherwise, this game isn't fair anymore. Oh, right. Oh my god. Right. 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 All right. Well, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and uh, roll on the magic item chart, and we'll see what you get. I hope you get ketchup. Oh, ketchup. <laughs> Carrie, you get uh, one experience point, and right. let's go ahead and see what you get uh, when we roll on the magic item. If I get mustard, I want Dijon mustard. The fanciest uh-huh. of mustards. Oh, mayo. No! It's not even, not Miracle Whip. <laughs> mayo. Hey, whoa, whoa, Miracle Whip is absolute garbage. That's a cursed item. Depends, <laughs> depends on what you're making. Yeah. I think Miracle Whip uh, is better in a couple of things. I think Miracle Whip. I disagree completely. Miracle Whip. Miracle Whip is good in is a dumpster. Miracle Whip makes a better devil egg. You're not only wrong, you're bad. <laughs> All right. Well, you can find uh, our podcast anywhere that you would find other stuff that you listen to. We're on Spotify and iTunes and, or, well, iTunes is now Apple podcasts. Podcast. Uh, we're on Apple podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on Stitcher. We're all of those places. Uh, you can also visit our website on You can send us an email at hosts at on You can find us on Twitter on podcast. You can find us 
on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash group slash honorable podcast. We're all over. Just look for us. You'll find us. <sighs> I also made glasses for uh, Corey Haim. Wow. That's a good one as well. Interesting. Okay. That's so should I tell my Corey Haim story? Cause it's, it's amusing. Let's go. All right. So Corey okay. Haim, I'll give you one XP. To- all right. Corey Haim came into the store and I worked in the lab. I actually made glasses. I was not a salesperson, but Corey Haim came in and nobody wanted to help him uh, because they, they all were, everyone was like, this is too weird. He was the heartthrob from when I grew up, you know, or whatever. And now he's like, uh, not weird and stuff and nobody wanted to help him. And so I was like, I'll help him. Cause I think it's awesome. And so I went out and first of all, in real life, he could not close his mouth. Oh, it no. was just like he was in, in the, you know, in the movies. Uh, but the funny thing is he still thought that he was the it. Oh, and it was a little, it, it was a little, it was a little sad. Like yeah. I felt a little bad for him because he, he clearly thought he was still on top of the world. Uh, and, and so, you know, I did my best and was, I was truly not trying to patronize him. You know, I was trying to like be kind. And I was like, you know, I loved you in license to drive. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, and, and he was, he was really nice, but he was definitely odd and clearly had, uh, lived a life that was not kind to him. Oh, did you give him a hug? No, but I did get his autograph on Lynn's crafters paper. Well, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there you go. Join us, <laughs> join us next week when our topic is, uh, can I get Jason to sign Lynn's crafters paper for me? Oh my Do God. I have any lens crafters paper? Well, until next time, I'm Ryan the curmudgeon, carries the legend. Jason is the favorite. And remember, the only way to win at a role-playing game is to have fun. It's the only way to win is to have fun with my friends. I'm on a road again. Tabletop lot motion, everything in between. The only way I win is to have fun with my friends. I'm on a road. Tabletop, live motion, everything.